Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Hello everybody. So it's a real privilege for me to be here tonight. Um, and I trust that God has got something special in store for every one of you. Um, but yeah, just as a, a sense of encouragement, if you're still on the fence whether or not you should be going to Convergence, it, uh, every single time I've gone has been very special. Uh, probably the the time that I'm the most grateful for is the first one that I attended. As Philip shared, I came to salvation there. So Heinrich Titus was preaching. I don't, don't remember what he was preaching about, uh, but God was clearly saying something different to me. And uh, a guy by the name of Peter Bauer then prayed with me. And since then, I've just been committed to uh, this house and to God's house in general. And I've seen many of my versions. I really want to encourage you um, yeah, to go. So the title of my message tonight is uh, it's entitled Work, and if you're still studying, just stick with me. I promise you it's applicable to you as well. Um, but before we go there, I just briefly want to just go further on this word that I got during worship. I don't feel completely released yet to, to let it go. So uh, at the end tonight, I'm going to... Um, call some people forward to respond to words, and the two that I'm going to uh, now already just make mention of, but I want to keep it to the end when the band's on stage so we can have some good time just praying together, is I definitely feel there's, there's people here that are struggling to identify with somebody that ca God can call and that God can use, like a passage in Isaiah that I read where the prophet said he looked at God and he felt like someone with unclean lips and that he's dwelling amongst people with unclean lips. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to, to respond to the word. And then the, the other one is, I feel that there's someone who's been wrestling with baptism and you just, you just haven't committed. And uh, I feel like tonight God is calling you by name. So, as I said, the, the title of my message is Work, and when Philip asked me some time ago if I'm willing to share a message, I said yes, and my default presupposition is to speak about discipleship. It's something that I'm super passionate about, um, seeing people grow in Christ, and just assisting people and, and walking with them. And the main reason why I love discipleship is because it's good for me, and it might sound very really selfish, but I've grown more by discipling other people than what I've grown in any other ma manner. And one of the ways is the questions that new believers ask you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody asks you, so why do you raise your hands in worship? And then you have to like, think now. And then you, you can tell them it's to bring God glory, it's a, it's a sign of surrender. And new believers have this way of making you think, why do I do stuff? And um, at, at my work, our, our slogan is simply safe. So we work in the construction industry, as Philip said. 
but we um, are health and safety consultants. And the, the general feeling in the industry when it comes to safety personnel is they are very complicated and, and very clever and they've got very good ideas. Until you, and our slogan is simply safe, and I'm of the opinion, until you can't explain something to a four-year-old and they can explain it back to you, you don't understand it yourself. And if you can't explain the gospel to, to a new believer in the manner that they can understand it, I want to challenge you and say you don't understand it yourself. Um, anyway, so I originally wanted to say something about discipleship, and God then challenged me, and he said, you have a specific word that you must bring. And that's the word that I'm going to share tonight. And uh, it, it feels a little bit uh, strange because I shared exactly the same word this morning. And now I'm going to say exactly the same thing tonight, but at least it's like 99% faces that wasn't here this morning. So, Jaku and Philip, uh, you guys must more grind through. And I think you were at Kitty's Church, so you didn't hear me preaching, so that's fantastic. But you were here this morning, so you must, must sit through it again. I'm so sorry. But hopefully you found it a little bit interesting and, and it's not that bad. So, just part of the introduction, if you can go to the second uh, slide there. So, I'm a father of three beautiful daughters. Uh, at photo is a little bit old. So, my eldest, her name is Zoe. She's five. She's turning six in January. The middle one that's on my lap, her name's Anka. She's three, turning four. And the one on my, my wife is holding, her name is Bella or Isabella. And she's just turned two. So, I'm a father of three daughters. And the next slide... I'm husband to one gorgeous wife. So, uh, it's just so that you understand a little bit from where I'm coming, give you a little bit of perspective. And then the main place from which I'm going to speak, be speaking tonight, the third slide, is I'm an employer. So, uh, I took over a business from my dad in 2017. He started a family business. He then retired. I took over from him. And uh, the company's name's Kernmead, and I said, we, as I said, we are working in the construction sector. And this is a, a scripture that's close to my heart, and that's sort of the, the, the underpinning scripture of this entire message that I'm going to share with you. And it says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward for you are serving the Lord Christ. And uh, just before we go to the next slide, can I just pray for us? Is that okay? Can, can we pray as Christians? Is that uh, acceptable? Thanks, Carl. Yeah, Jesus, we acknowledge you in this place. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here and that you're changing hearts, you're changing minds, and you are transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. I bring my word before you. I pray for every word that I speak that's not born of you, that it will fall to the ground and it will die. It will bear absolutely no fruit. But I thank you, Jesus, for every word that I speak that is born of you, that it will fall on fertile soil and it will bear much fruit. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, I mean, there's some of God's people here, not a lot. And all God's people said, Amen. Fantastic. So just as a quick litmus test uh, this morning, just to see whether everybody's engaged and uh, participating. Can I see by a show of hands here, who has been to the moon? 
No one. Okay? By a show of hands, can I see who understands English? Okay, fantastic. So all of you raised your hands. So we've got very good participation. So now I've set you up for a third question. Who here believes that you are in full-time ministry? Okay, so there's a few, few hands going up. So there's a couple of super high hands. I'm very happy to see Philip and Yaku's hand in there. Otherwise, we would have been in super deep trouble. And then there were like some of these hands. Like, ah, oh, Christopher, that's a trick question. Like, I feel like you're catching me out. And... Um, Hopefully, when I'm done tonight, you'll be able to raise your hand all the way up with a lot of confidence. I mean, are you guys still with me? Fantastic. So, you can go to the next slide. So, all epic stories begin with this phrase, in the beginning, or a long, long time ago. I love stories. Don't you just love stories? So, this phrase is found somewhere in your Bible. And you find where it is. It's right in the beginning. It's like it's the, the first part. Now, I'm preaching about work, and now already I'm telling you I'm going to go to Genesis. And now you're thinking to yourself, no, man, Christoph, there's better stuff than Genesis. Surely you can go to some of the things that Paul said, or like even that scripture that I started with, like work as unto the Lord. But there's a reason why I'm going to Genesis, and the reason is. For a long time, there was a part of me, I wouldn't have verbalized it in such a manner, but there was a, before the fall, before was a consequence of the fall. In other words, before the fall, before Adam ate the fruit, work was optional, or it wasn't a requirement. Or I, I don't know what I believed, but I felt like the fall and work sort of they came almost together. And the purpose why I'm starting in Genesis is... Uh, to prove to you that that mentality is incorrect, but you can just stay on that slide. Don't go to the next one um, until I tell you. So, if you can, uh, I specifically didn't put Genesis on my slides, so uh, you can either whip out your smartphone and then go to Genesis 1 verse 1, super easy to find, but if you're a real Christian, you can take out your hard copy and then go to, like, I don't want to say page 1 because there's, there's like a preface and Maybe yours has a map or your map's in the back. I don't know how your Bible looks, but very first book, very first chapter, very first verse. And it starts like this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here's another question. Who is the first worker in the Bible? Hmm? Kyle says it's God. Who agrees with Kyle? The first worker in the Bible was God. There's a couple of these again. I can see them like, huh? Either you're in or you're out. Like being on the fence. What do you call them in English? Being on the fence. Don't be on the fence. Like commit. The Bible says, for a double-minded man or woman shall receive no reward. Have you heard that scripture before? Okay, anyway, so let's carry on. And then let's see what the scripture says. Who was the first worker? Then... Uh, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Does that sound like a nice place? Does that sound like a place that humans would want to live in? No, it doesn't sound. Huh? I won't take my, my family there on holiday. Huh? Formless, empty, darkness. I don't say it here, but immediately I feel cold. I don't know about you when you read it, I'm like, I need a jacket. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then He separated light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And evening passed, and morning came, making it the first day. So just go back with me to verse 1, and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And if you're anything like me, you're like, but how did He create it? And when did it create it? But can you see the author doesn't specify? He's sort of like, yeah, 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 He created all of this stuff, and then He moves on. And I'm like, no, 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 let's go back. Like, when did he, wow. And the author doesn't specify, but the author specifies a couple of things. He starts off by saying that it was formless and dark and not a nice place. And then God does a whole bunch of things. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read some of it. The first thing that he does is he creates light. So he separates it, and then you've got day and night. For who is day and night beneficial? For humans. Can you see the author is setting us up so that the story is written with somebody playing the main role. Except not God, but somebody has to be the main character in the story. Okay? So jump with me to verse 11. And then God said, Let the land sprout out vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. Immediately I'm thinking to myself, what about the other trees? Like, there's many other trees that don't have seed-bearing fruit. And then I'm like, ah, oh, he's setting me up. He's telling me a story of stuff that's being made for somebody's benefit. For whose fruit tree is good? For humans. Huh? Are you following me? Are you still with me? You guys look half asleep. You're still here. Is this, is this like the normal time for the service? Normally I'm getting ready for bed now, Yaku. Are these, are they also getting ready for bed? Not. Okay, okay. Now maybe, maybe it's just me. I'm old. Let me, let me stick with the story. And all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. And the seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, making it the third isn't that amazing jump with me to verse 27 so God created human beings how did he create them? in his own image God created them male and female he created them then God blessed them and he said and this is a very famous part you might have heard it before but Hopefully you'll read it a bit differently next time. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Or subdue it, your translation might say. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. So, can we see that in the beginning, there was this formless, dark, empty array. And then the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters, and then God speaks, and He says, let there be light. And then God does many things. He creates animals, and He creates fruit trees, and He does epic things, and then He creates humans, for which all of these things are beneficial. And then He says something very powerful. He says, go and multiply. I find that quite strange. God didn't tell any other creature He created to multiply. 
Uh, it's not like he told the rabbits, make more rabbits, sort of rabbits do that automatically. So he told us we need to multiply, but then he said, subdue the earth or reign over it. And God is showing us, he modeled something for us. So can you agree with me that God could have introduced himself to us in any manner? Hmm? Why do you think he chose to introduce himself like this as a worker? So he starts this epic story. He says, in the beginning. And then he, he portrays himself as a worker. And he's working for six days. He does things. He creates light and he does many things. And then he creates humans and he says, I've made you in my image. What image is this? This is the image that he just portrayed as a worker. And he says, then go out and work. Huh? And this is still Genesis 1. This is when the good times are rolling. It's only in Genesis 3 when like, the good times stop rolling. I think there's a song like that. Next time when I preach, I'll put the song in somewhere and then we can play it and we can uh, enjoy the good times. So God introduces himself as a worker. Then he creates us and then he sends us to go and work. So what I want you to see is, now you can go to the next slide for me. So God is the first worker. God, God's work is creating order from chaos. So we started this story with a, a place that's not good for humans. So a, a, a big part of what I'm sharing, if you want to see a better theological explanation of it. Who of you have ever seen a Bible project video? Like it's short little punchy videos that drive home a point. So the guy who creates those, I'm not sure what his name is, he's also a, a very good preacher and he's got sermons on YouTube. And this series is called A Labor of, a Labor of Love, a story about work. And he's very good at using Hebrew words and all kinds of stuff. So this space where it's not good for humans to live is called tohu vavohu in Hebrew. So we, we see this tohu vavohu place. You see why I don't speak Hebrew. Even English for me is a stretch, so you must just bear with me. And then he takes this chaotic place and he creates something that's brimming with potential. Uh, there's seed-bearing plant, uh, seed plants, there's animals. And then he creates humans in this place that's got it's like, it's like a powder keg of expectation, and it's going to blow up. And then God says, I've created you. Go. Fill this place. Subdue it. Take charge of it. So God's work was creating order out of chaos. And then he, he sends us to go do work. Now, if you're anything like me, then I think to myself, geez, I can't create light. Um, I can't create fruit trees. If you're anything like me, I can't even plant a fruit tree and have it grow. Carl's got good green fingers. I don't. The only plant I've managed to not kill is the plastic plant in my office. And that's also just by grace, the fact that it's still alive. Like, luckily, praise the Lord, my track record with children is better than plants. Huh? Can you imagine? I'm three for three with kids. I've had three and I haven't killed one yet. It's amazing. But they're different than plants. They scream and yell when they're hungry and thirsty. That helps a lot. Unless when they're very small, then they scream a lot and then it doesn't help. It just keeps you awake. But none of you will know that yet. Just be blissfully ignorant until that time comes. 
Sleep now while you have a chance. <laughs> now I'm making it sound bad. It's not that bad. There's another important thing about God's work. is God's work is for the benefit of others. Would you agree with me? So God introduces himself. He's working. And he's working towards end. He's creating a place. It's not good for him. It's not like God is creating a place for him to live in and thrive in. So he's creating a place that's good for someone else. And then he creates us in his image so that we can work, so that we can subdue the earth. And again, this is before the fall. The good times are still, still rolling. This is before Adam messed up. And here's the thing that, that I want you to, to dwell on a little bit. When you see someone at work, you should be hardwired to see the image of God. So, just as a, uh, a clarification point, there are work, where well, there is work that is degrading to human beings. Slavery and uh, pornography and there's, there's many forms that's degrading to the human image. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about work that's uplifting, where you're taking something that's chaotic and you're moving it to an orderly state for the benefit of others. When you see someone involved in that work ethic, you should see the image of God. And I don't know when last you've thought about it like that. For a lot of you, I don't think you've ever thought about it like that. So now, we go to Genesis 3. Now the good times aren't rolling anymore. The good times have stopped rolling. So from verse 17, you can read with me on the next slide. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, um, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until the return to the ground from which you were made. From, from, uh, for you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. I just want to take a sip of water. So we have this picture. God takes tohu vavahu, chaos. He creates order. He puts men in this orderly place to work. But the work would have looked different. The Bible doesn't explain exactly how it would have looked different. It would have been work. But it doesn't explain exactly. But now, God is like, okay, because you ate of this fruit that I told you not to eat, now there will be weeds and thorns and thistles. And let me show you a little something from my life. If you go to the next slide. So I know it looks like the Amazon, but this is our vegetable patch in the backyard. And this is what the fall does. So who of you have heard the fancy word called entropy? So it's sort of a, a fancy word for stuff that it doesn't get naturally more ordered like evolution will teach us. So we were monkeys and then we survive a very long time and then we get sophisticated. And when I survive a very much longer time even, I'm going to get more, 
more or less like a monkey. I don't, I don't exactly know what they teach, but it, it just doesn't make sense. My vegetable garden is proof of that. We planted very nice vegetables. We planted zero bosses. Uh, no weeds were planted in this process. But, shame. I think like 80% of that is, is weeds. There's some vegetables in between, I promise you. Uh, say again? The, yeah, there's spring onion to the far right. It looks almost like something from a Star Wars movie, but it is a spring onion. I can confirm. But here's the, the sad thing is even though we've eat, eaten, eaten we, we, we have eaten some of the fruit of that vegetable patch, it's just been enough for me and my family. If we work at it, it will produce enough for us and someone else. Isn't that amazing? Work is not for survival. Work is for the benefit of others. Amen? So let's go into another misconception that people have. If you go to the next slide. I had it for the longest time. So this dichotomy of sacred versus secular. So now we're busy with the sacred stuff. We hear church and we like got our, our moi moi's on. In Afrikaans, we call them diakavias. He's got diakavias on. Do you guys know what the diakavia is? It's a shoe. It's for dance, kerk, and werk. It's the same shoe, and you can dance with it, you can work in it, and you can go to church with it. So now we, we've got our best clothes on, and we're in the secular, and we're worshiping, and we're engaging with Jesus, and even in the mornings, you can have your quiet time, and you can pray, and you can read your Bible, and you deem that to be the secular, but now you step out into the big bad world, and now you have to go to campus. Now you have to listen to this lecturer. Oh, you have to listen to your boss. And they rude. And they're not the best bosses. And, and now, this is the secular realm. And you, it's difficult for you to find God here. And it's difficult for you to understand what He wants you to do. It's difficult. The big thing that a lot of people struggle with is, what is my calling? When I, ask, when I give you the mic and I ask you what you're calling, you're going to have this swirly thing in your stomach, and you're like, oh, I don't know what to say. If you're anything like me, huh? can I give you the mic? Can you tell us what your calling is? I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So um, his, his stomach went a little bit like this. Now I saw it. But it's, it's not what God wants of us. He, he wants us to know. And to a large extent, we struggle with this thing, what our calling is, because we believe our calling is a singular event. Or a singular thing. Like Angus Bucken is an amazing example. My dad went to one of his things this weekend, I think uh, yesterday. Kreersdorp, I don't even know he had a gathering, but very cool. And a lot of times we think that, I want a calling like that. Like, and for most of us, our calling is in our work. And I'll explain to you why. So, Here's why God really, move to the next slide for me. Here's why God is really um, committed and involved in our work. So, work is the best place where God can test your heart. So, I'm going to tell you a story from my own life, but before I get there, Bigger, do you know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? No, it means nothing. 
It means absolutely nothing when a preacher looks at his watch. So, now I completely lost my story. Where was I? Yes, so before I give an example out of my own life, let me tell you a story. So now I'm gardening. God has given me a 20 by 20 piece of farm to, to cultivate. So now I'm cultivating and I'm working and I'm a good Christian. And my neighbor goes to get water. And I'm here by the boundary line. And I think to myself, hmm, how do I can pull this peg out and just like and put it back in the ground? Huh? No one will know. I'll have a little bit more ground more ground for me to cultivate, more opportunity to bless others. Yeah, you know, I can get more vegetables. If the land is better and bigger, I can bless more people. Huh, have you ever thought like that? Maybe you're better Christians than me, but I've thought like that. I'm like, yeah, 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 let me just, and no one's looking. Huh? But God's looking. And God doesn't test us per se, but God is looking and there's opportunities where we can we can prove to him where our allegiance lies. And it doesn't happen in this sitting. We used to have an elder in this church. His name was Michal. Well, he's still alive, but he's not an elder anymore. He used to have a saying, and he said, this is the team talk. The game's out there. Huh? Can you imagine the Springboks thought the game was in the locker room? How ridiculous would that have been? Huh? Then they come to the foul field, and they just stand there, and they look at the Argentinians, and they're like, no, no, we had the game in the locker room. It was good. Like the coach said some, yes, the coach, he amped us up. Huh? Well, we're not playing now. We played in the locker room. Like we, uh, but sometimes we as Christians, we, we behave like that. We think like this is the game. No, no, no. This is the team talk. Yeah, we have the team talk. And then we go out and we play the game. So when you're playing the game and you've got a 20 by 20 piece of land and you're gardening and you're considering pulling up that stake, just moving it a little bit and putting it back in the ground. Your neighbor doesn't know. He's not getting water. It's not like you're taking half of his thing. It's a little bit. That's where God tests us. So the story that I want to tell you is I took over from my dad in 2017, as I shared. And in 2017, we were seven people. And we are now 43 people in the company. So in five years, I don't know what that multiplication factor is, but it's quite big. And can I tell you, I am 100% convinced I know where God's favor originally started. And it's at this story. So we did some, some business with Exaru. And how big companies work is you issue them with a quotation and they respond with something called the purchase order. This is just the official document saying we've granted you the work and you must put this specific number on your invoice when you invoice us. So we started transacting and they gave us a purchase order for argument's sake of 150 rand and we start transacting. We've only utilized 110 rand of this 150 rand purchase order. And I'm still new in this role of mine, this main peanut in the pucky and I sort of, okay, we're done with Exaro, we move on. Don't think about it anymore. About three months later, I get an email from somebody at Exaru, some creditor's clerk. And the email reads as follows. says, good day, Christoph. We have an open purchase order on our system uh, with a remaining value of, and they quote the value, can you please send us a bulk invoice so that we can pay you and close the PO? So I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Now I'm, now I'm in this plot of land of mine, and I, and I want to pull the stake, and I just want to, but it's a lot of money, so it's a couple of steps. And then I want to put the stake back. And I think to myself, yeah, like, we're suffering, man. Like, 
I can't give my people increases. It's around about November. I knew everybody's going to be keen for a bonus. Come on, Christoph, just send the invoice, man. Just send it. I thought to myself, no, 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 no. Not going to send the invoice? Get on my computer and I write the email back. Good day, so-and-so. I don't remember their name is. Unfortunately, I cannot invoice you because we didn't render the work, but you are welcome to close the PR on your system. Next day, I get a response. Mr. Lawrence, I don't think you understand. I can't close the PO until you invoice me. Will you please invoice me, irregardless whether you've done the work or not? And I'm like, yeah. Now, all of a sudden, I even have permission of my neighbor to pull out the peg and to walk and to put it back into the ground. And I thought to myself, no. So to make a long story short, we go back and forth a couple of times. Eventually, we have to go one level above to a super system, we eventually agree, no, the PO can be closed without you invoicing it. Ah, how ridiculous would that be if your system is, we have to pay you a lot of money just to close an admin loop. All companies will go bankrupt, except maybe Exaru, they have a lot of money. I wish Exaru, or I wish Escom was managed like Exaru. Huh? Yo. So, um, anyway, let's not talk about Escom. I asked Philip when I started pitching, do we get load shedding here? And he's like, no, no, we're connected to the minister's house's grid, so we'll be fine. Um, so I don't know whether we got, get load shedding, but Philip said we're not getting, so, so that's great news. So we get to a point where we agree not to, to invoice, they're closing the purchase order, and I move on. I don't think about it anymore. And another couple of months go by, and I get an email that says, Mr. Lawrence, you are invited to our gala event. Can you please confirm your attendance? And I file the email, I just think to myself, this is one of those exotic things, and I'm busy that night, I'm not going. Get a couple more emails, eventually somebody calls me, Mr. Lawrence, we have an award for you. you, please, you have to come. So I'm like, I'm really sorry, I'm busy that evening, but I'll send a representative. So I send a representative, and I get called to the stage, so to give you an idea, this is the whole of Exaru's suppliers. I don't want to say there's thousands of people there, but there's a lot of people. And we get called to the front and we get given a trophy. It's big. I wish actually I had a photo of it. And the trophy is written, Capital Excellence. So somebody in Exaru noticed that we're not willing to invoice for um, things. And the purpose why I'm sharing about the trophy is we're not doing this for human recognition. But you know what that trophy does for me? So it's sitting in our reception on the little desk behind the receptionist. And it reminds me of the fact that God is for us. And in the five years, we went from seven, seven to 43 people. Our business has grown like you can't believe. We still have cash flow problems. And I still, every day I'm tempted to take the stake and walk it a little bit and just increase my land. But those type of things where God works stuff in our heart, Yes, it happens here. And yes, I'm going to call you forward to come and respond. But if you get psyched up by the coach in the locker room and you don't go out and you play a hell of a game out there, all of this was for nothing. For nothing. Huh? So back to the sacred versus secular. If you don't have the two circles in your head that's completely separate, you probably have this. It's like a you know, like there's definitely a sacred part and there's definitely a secular part, but like they overlap a little bit. And that's where the magic happens. That's where the Holy Spirit moves. But I'm here to tell you tonight, God's heart 
is for those two circles to be completely overlapped. Completely overlapped. If us coming to Jesus, if us being saved has to deeply influence our lives, surely, surely it has to deeply influence the place where you spend most of your time. Hmm? Would you agree with that statement? So I don't know about you, but the biggest part of your life will be spent at work. Nine hours a day, five days a week. Of the 24 hours, other eight hours you sleep, so that leaves you with another seven for eating, drinking, recreational activities, family, three daughters. Like, work's a big chunk. And if that chunk, if God is not involved in that part, can you see that I'm missing out on his heart? So this morning there was a word that these people with cups that's half empty, not overflowing. And I don't necessarily feel the same thing tonight, but I think the word was so applicable because there's people that go through life with vague emotions. Never really excited. You're never really super sad. You're just like numb and you just go through life. And I believe a large part of that is because we don't feel this excitement, this passion, as if the God of the universe has called me to do something. That passage in Isaiah is a special passage for me. So the guy says, I'm a person of unclean lips and I live amongst people with unclean lips. And then the angel comes and he touches his mouth. And then God says, for who will I send? And every time I read that and I read his response, you know what I think about? I think about the movie Shrek where donkey jumps and he says, pick me, pick me, pick me. I feel like that guy. I'm just like, Jesus, pick me. Like, I'm here, I'm here. Play me, coach. I'm ready. And he doesn't always pick me. And that's okay. But I'm ready. My question to you is, are you ready? When God says, who will I send? Will you say, I'm here. Send me. Or are you going to say, ah, I'm a person of unclean lips. And I stay amongst people with unclean lips. So I've taken us on a journey. We started here at Tohu Vavohu. If there was another evening service, then I would have been proficient with the word. Maybe I should have practiced it more at home. So we started at this chaos. God works and He creates order out of this chaos. Then He places us in this chaos. Then Adam eats the fruit. Adam, me and Adam is going to have a long chat one day when I'm in heaven. Like, gee, man. But in Adam's defense, I would have also probably eaten the fruit. So I can't be too hard on him, but it was him, not me. You know what I often tell my wife? You know what I'm really grateful for? I'm super grateful I didn't live in Jesus' time. Super grateful. And I'll tell you why. A lot of people wish they could. But let me tell you, having the Son of God with you in the flesh, and you having enough faith to believe Him, and forsake your family and go after a person, that's, that's radical, man. I, I don't know if I, had it in, if I would have had it in me. Huh? A lot of times we're hard on those people who deserted Jesus. I'm going complete. Man, that's radical. But anyway, I'm, I'm going completely off my story. So, God created a little bit of order, then He put us in it. 
Then Adam ate the fruit. Now, there's a thing called entropy. Stuff is going backwards. Remember that little vegetable patch of mine? It just gets worse if we don't do anything about it. So now the question is, what is work? Work is very simply taking something that's chaotic, putting it in an orderly fashion so that it can benefit someone else. So we're about 20 people here tonight. If I were to circulate the microphone, I'll get 20 different answers. Philip is frowning. Maybe we'll be less than 20. Maybe I'm not good at, at judging uh, numbers. But I'll get a vast variety of answers what work is. But in essence, that's what it is. You take something that's chaotic, you order it, and this order is to the benefit of someone else. Maybe you work on a computer and you get an Excel spreadsheet and this thing isn't balanced and it's chaotic and the numbers just don't line up and it's not good for anything. You take it. I'm not good at that though. Maybe somebody else is good at it, but I'm not, I'm not good at admin. And you take this spreadsheet and you work magic with it and, it's, and it like balances to the T. Uh, I have a couple of accounting friends. My wife actually studied accounting and they told me it's like a rush of endorphins when the thing balances. Like when you get to the bottom and it says this equals this, you're like, ah. Oh. And she says the worst feeling is when you get in it's out by five cents. Like you balance something with millions and then it's like out. And then I'm like, yo, but just like. And she's like, no, no, no. You go back, you find the five cents and you do it properly. And that's what work is. And it looks different to all of us. So we started Tahu Vavahu, God created order. Sin entered the world. Now we're going backwards. Entropy is working. We have to work against it. We have to create order. So that's the beginning of the story. But there's an end to the story. Yes? Jesus is coming. And what's going to happen when Jesus comes? Maybe you have this picture that Jesus will come and will go into heaven. And one or two things are going to happen. We're just going to sing forever and ever. Or we're going to lie on a couch and the angel's going to pop grapes into our mouths and they're going to have one of those palm leaves. And No, that's not what's going to happen. Read with me from Matthew 25, 23. So this is Jesus speaking and he's telling a parable. And it's a parable of three servants and a master. And the master is going away on a long trip. And he leaves three servants with set amount of money. I can't remember. I think it's one, five, and ten. And the one with the one completely like misses the boat. He takes the one and he heats it under the table. And then the master comes back and he gives the one back. And the one with the five multiplies and it becomes ten. And the one with the ten multiplies and it becomes twenty. And the master takes the money from the one. And this is a bit countercultural. He doesn't give it to the guy who now has ten, which is sort of what I would do. Like with my kids, like I have to be fair. <laughs> I'll even take a little bit from the one who's got 20 and give it to the one with 10. Just uh, what this master does. He takes the one and he gives it to the one with the 20 and he says, you can have it. And then he says this, which boggles my brain a little bit. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'll come back to that highlighted part now. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in the joy of your master. So this is Jesus speaking and he says, you've worked well on the side of eternity. Well done. Come into heaven and work some more. Isn't that amazing? The work that you do now will 
echo into eternity. It will echo into eternity. So work was there before the fall. Work is going to be there in heaven. We were created in the image of God, and how did God introduce himself? As a worker. So work is fundamentally important to God. It's not going anywhere. Um, now I want to chat a little bit about that yellow part, and I keep looking at my watch, and I have no idea what time we have to finish, so we can just stay here. I feel like I'm on a roll now, so just stick with me. So I did a course um, in Cape Town, and uh, it's quite intense, so it's four weeks, and you go there for a week at a time, so you go for a week, and then you come back, and I think it's once every six weeks or something you go down, I can't remember exactly. Um, and they train you to do ministry. And there was a guy, uh, he passed away now, his name is George Malek, that presented something at the course. But there was something about Uncle Malek that when I was with him, I felt something about Jesus that, that was special to me. Like I could feel Jesus when I was with him. And I asked him once, I said, Uncle Malek, talk to me about this thing that I'm feeling. And he said, Christopher, have you heard about the saying that says, 20, uh, hindsight is 20-20 vision? Huh? Who of you have heard the saying, hindsight is 20-20 vision? So it's a saying that sort of implies once you've went through a situation and you stop to look back, your perspective is different and you probably would have done something differently. Huh? When somebody won the lotto, they don't say, hindsight's 20-20 vision. Whenever the saying features it, implies changed. Something went wrong. Maybe wrong is a strong word, but I would have changed something ever so slightly. So I was like, okay, Uncle Malik, that's nice. I asked you about Jesus and about his presence. And you answer me, hindsight is 2020 vision. What does that mean? And he said, Christopher, I live my, play, my life from a place of hindsight. And I said, okay. You need to give me more, Uncle Malik. Clearly, like when Jesus was speaking about the sheep, he was speaking about me because I'm, I'm not with you. I'm not following. And uh, he says, okay, where are you going to end up? And I think a little bit, and then a light bulb goes on. And I realize, so for God is this mountain, and there's many roads that lead to the top of this mountain. So whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist, or a, uh, all of these roads are going to lead to the top of the mountain. And there's a large part of me that agrees with that statement. And I'll tell you why. Because whether you're a Christian or not, there's one place where you're going to end up. Before you step into eternity. You're going to stand in front of Jesus, the man with fire in his eyes, and you're going to account. You're going to explain to Jesus how you lived your life. And based on that encounter, he's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, you're going to be a sheep. Or he's going to say, depart from me, for you have practiced lawlessness, which then puts you in the position of being a goat. Sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell, according to the book of Revelation. Different teaching, not going down that path now. But the point I'm trying to make is, how do you live in your 20 by 20 piece of land without pulling the stake and moving it? 
ever so slightly. Because here's the thing is, even if you move it this much, the first time when your neighbor goes and gets water, the next day you're going to move it that much, and the next day you're going to move it that much, and then you're going to move it that much, and then you and your neighbor is going to fight to the death over the piece of land. I'm being a little dr- bit dramatic, but you get my point. So, Uncle Malik taught me to live retrospectively back from where I stand in front of Jesus and I give an account. So, what does that mean? I'm busy tending my patch. My neighbor goes to get water. I reach for the stake and I close my eyes and I think, I'm going to stand in front of Jesus face to face and I'm going to explain to him what I was doing here. All of a sudden, it's easier to open my hand, to loosen the stake, and to just keep tending my 20 by 20 piece of land. And the beautiful thing is, if you faithfully tend it, God will inevitably increase the patch of land. But He has to do it. You can't. So, Carl, you and the band can um, maybe come up for us and... uh, I want to invite you guys to respond if, if this message spoke to you in any way. And uh, it's, you know, this morning was quite funny, so a, a few people responded and somebody came and he shook my hand and he said, are you preaching again tonight? And I said, yes, I am. He said, oh, the same message. I said, yes, the same message. He said, it's so amazing. I have to bring my brother. And I'm like, Oh, like it was for you. <laughs> it wasn't for your brother. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, that friend of mine, chances are the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about something. So uh, I want to invite you to come forward if you want to respond. Elijah um, or Isaiah standing in front of the throne and he's looking up at God and his robe fills the temple. Just close your eyes as I explain this. And his robe fills the temple and it's this magnificent sight and he sees God in all of his glory and then he sees the seraphim flying around him, these creatures with six wings and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And then the prophet feels unclean. He feels unworthy. But then a seraphim comes and he touches him with a coal to purify him. And I feel like the grace is here tonight to purify, to touch you so that you can, like donkey in Shrek, jump up, pick me, pick me, for here am I, Lord, the prophet says, Send me, and my cry tonight for you is that you will say, For here am I, Lord. Send me. And then the third person that I want to call is, if you've been wrestling about baptism, and you've been putting it off, or you've got questions, and you want to understand it cognitively, I'm here to tell you tonight, it's a spiritual encounter where the Father will affirm your identity. Don't put it off any longer. 
Yeah, so Kyle and them are going to sing and we're going to worship now. And I want to encourage you to stay in His presence. Respond so that someone can pray with you if you feel so. But even if you just want to sit in His presence, do so. Meet with the King. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. Yeah, Father, so we just come tonight and we declare that we are Your servants, Lord. We want to work so that our work can bring You glory so that of someone else. I'd order out of chaos for the benefit of someone else. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012 362-1363 Email us Pretoria at shofaronline.org Browse our website www.shofaronline.org Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria